Welcome to DadCast Radio. No experts, no formulas, just dads on dadding. Welcome to DadCast Radio. I'm Mark Morris. I'll be your host here. And this is a show all about dads. So if you're a dad, you're welcome to listen. If you're not, you're welcome to listen. Uh, we'd love all dads to contribute. There's a couple ways you can do that. We'd love to interview you if you have a dad story that you'd like to tell. You can also find us on Facebook at DadCast Radio or on the Anchor app at DadCast Radio. And I'm going to be telling dad stories here because I have been a dad myself for 23 years. I've been married for 27. I have eight kids, four boys, four girls. Three of them are adults now, so I feel like I've kind of proven that at least some of what I did turned out okay. And it's not about me really giving advice, though, uh, because I've gotten lots of dad advice, if you will, most of it from bad sources. The first source that I got dad advice from was the holier-than-thou dads in the religious background that I came from, and they were always perfect, except they weren't, and when you found out that they weren't, uh, you still had to live up to whatever it was that they set the standard for. Then there was the expert dad who either wrote a book or taught a class or had a degree in early childhood psychology but really didn't know his kids. And his advice was generally consisting of five ways you can discipline your kids without losing your cool or whatever it was. It was always trendy and hip and new, but it rarely worked consistently and didn't produce good results. Then finally, I've gotten a lot of dad advice from angry deadbeat dads who either don't know their kids or they do, but they're so rude to them that it's just embarrassing. Um, You know those guys. They're old school. They're hardcore. And they just, uh, I don't mind a man's man, but these guys are jerks. And so I'd rather not have anything to do with it. And then I think there's just a a big gap where dads don't really tell their own stories. So that's what I'm going to do here on DadCast Radio. And I'm going to kick it off by interviewing one of my own brothers. I have four brothers and two sisters. I am the oldest of seven children. And today I'm going to be talking with Timothy Morris, uh, my brother. He is the third out of the seven. And so without further ado, here is our interview. Hi, this is Mark Morris with DadCast Radio, and I am here with another dad who happens to be one of my brothers, Timothy Morris. Hi. Hello. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Uh, <laughs> so, Tim, I just wanted to talk to you about being a dad and your dad's story, and uh, so how many kids do you have, Tim? I have one boy. How old? 13 going on 19. <laughs> okay. I know how that goes. Um... So, how long have you been married, Tim? Been married for twenty years. Twenty years. So you kind of you guys waited a while to have your yeah, kid. Yeah, we waited eight years. My nephew Ezra is this tall, lanky kid with a big smile and a head full of just curly hair, dark. Uh, if you saw him on the street, you might think he was Hispanic or native, but uh, his mother is black, and my brother Tim looks like a typical Irishman. So when he says that he's 13 going on 19, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's got this energy about him that's pretty young, but at the same time, 
he has an advanced vocabulary. He asks more sophisticated questions, and he's always thinking of things in this kind of off-center, funny sort of way that that Tim also has about him. He's a great kid. You mentioned that uh, I know this is important. Sense of humor is important for you. So what? What would you say, you and Ezra, do you guys have a similar sense of humor? Yes. Has that, like, been a connection for you? I'd say so. Even though he rolls his eyes when I tell him jokes now because he's 13, but that's all right. He still laughs. <laughs> so, I know I know you were telling me this story the other day. I want you to share it. Oh, um, about uh, the one thing that... About the Monty Python movie. Oh, it just it made me happy that we... I have a sometimes strange sense of humor, but I just I like to laugh and find the funny things in life. And I love Monty Python. And we decided to share, my wife and I decided to share Monty Python and the Holy Grail with him. And I got a great kick out of watching the end of it with him and watching his face because if you've never seen it, I'll spoil it for you. If, if you don't want to hear it, then skip forward like 20 seconds or whatever. But... Basically, it follows King Arthur and his knights all the way through, and it's very cheaply made, and they get to the end, and you think there's going to be a battle, and then it just abruptly ends, and the police come and arrest them. It's like it's a bunch of crazy guys running around in a field, and the police come and end their fun. And this is after watching an hour and a half of a movie. Yeah. You said that Ezra watched. Yeah, he watched he watch all the credits because he was insistent that there was more to it. That that's was, what I thought too when I first saw. I it. I was trying to be the good guy and say, "No, that's it. Sorry." Yeah. <laughs> As I'm laughing. Right. So you're just laughing at him. That's and hilarious. His, his response was, "What? Way to go, Dad!" The fact that he enjoyed the movie and thought it was funny, and this is a movie from uh, mid '70s, early '70s, probably. Yeah, maybe the early '80s. I don't know. Somewhere around in there was I definitely before I graduated high school, which was in 1990, so... The fact that a kid nowadays who's... I'd have to look it up. 12 or 13 enjoys something that old. Now, if you've seen it and you're a little uptight, just realize that we did fast-forward a couple of small parts that weren't quite appropriate. Which was 1975. It was made in 1975, yeah. So a year before I was born. Yeah. So, like, that's another thing that I found find funny is, like, if... There's not, like, any nudity or sex. There's a couple of inappropriate jokes in one little section that we skipped. And what's funny is, I don't know where this came from, because not that I'm, like, walking around making dirty jokes all the time, but I'm not, like, super uptight about stuff. But if I let that play, he would have turned and looked at us and said, that's inappropriate. That's exactly what he would have said. Where <laughs> that sounds like around? my nine-year-old, too. Man, I don't know where that would have came, where that came from, especially for a 13-year-old. Yeah. That sounds like that sounds like several of my kids as well. So here on DadCast Radio, we like to talk to not just the dads, but the kids as well. So this is my nephew here with me. This is Ezra. Say hello, Ezra. Hello. And uh, I just got through interviewing your dad, Tim. And so I wanted to ask you a couple things about him. What do you think is the best thing about your dad? 
Honestly, that's a really hard question. I don't think I can answer that. Okay, well, just tell me one of the favorite things about, like, having him as your father. What, what is one of your favorite things? Probably his dad jokes. You like his dad jokes? Yes. Now, see, that's funny, because he said I should ask you if you thought he was funny, <laughs> and he thought that you might say no, because he says you don't laugh at them as much as you used to. Is that true? A little bit, yeah. What's your dad like? If you were going to describe him to somebody who'd never met him before, what would you say about your dad? Probably imagine everything good about your dad and multiply it by ten. Wow, that's a that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good endorsement there, Ezra. And you don't have to say just nice things. So tell me this: What would you say is the the hardest thing you've ever been through with your dad? Probably with him being a bit nosy. He's nosy. What do you mean, nosy? He's really nosy. Just about what? What does he? What does he nose into? Everything. Everything. Yes. Like he wants to know what's going on with you. Yes. Is that always? Is that a bad thing? Do you think? Not always. But it can be annoying. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So sometimes you just want some privacy, and he's nosing into your business. Yeah, a little bit. So that's a challenge. So how do you handle that? I just kind of let him do his thing. You just let him do his thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So he said that uh, one of the things that he thinks he says to you quite a bit is, well, that sucks. What now? Like, if something bad happens, is that like an attitude that you've heard from him, you think? Like, that sucks. It's, it was a bad thing, but now what are we going to do about it? I think so, yeah. Does that, does that help you, do you think? Not really. Not really, you it don't makes, think? It makes me think, but yeah. I don't... It doesn't really give any clues to, to as how I'm supposed to figure something out. Right, but don't you think that, like, maybe it helps you own the situation a little bit and own your responsibility to react to it correctly? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So what would you say, then, is the number one thing that you've learned from your dad? Like, if you were going to give advice to somebody else on being a dad, what's the one thing that you think you've learned from him that they should teach? Just say okay and walk away. And see, isn't that what I just said? That's kind of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. That happened. It's like, okay, gotcha. So what do you mean by that? Not getting into a fight? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Everyone always talks to you about being ready to be a dad. But let me tell you something. After becoming a father eight times, I will tell you this. There's no getting ready. You can be prepared, but... Really, you never know what's going to change until it happens, and every single time it was something different. Um, so here's my brother and I discussing what changes we went through uh, when we had our first kids. Do you remember finding out that you were going to be a dad? Yeah, actually. Okay. We were at some friend's house, and the wife of our friend we, she told Naisha that she needed she was like I have a pregnancy test if you want to take it and she felt on the spot so she went in and took it at some friend's house even though that wasn't ideally what, the way she would have wanted to do it but whatever so you're sitting here like at dinner or something or yeah okay so well we were at so, yeah we were at uh, uh, should I say their name I don't care yeah okay. it's fine we were at Britain Susanna's house oh, okay having dinner and Naisha we were trying at the time and Naisha was saying that she hadn't felt well and Susanna was like I've got a pregnancy test she was just itching to be the first one to find out so 
They actually need before the rest of our family. <laughs> That's funny. So, do you remember what were what what were your feelings when you when you heard that? Uh, excited, scared. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, even when you're even when you first start trying, I mean, I don't know if you felt that way where you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna try to have a kid, and then the actual it actually happens, and you're like, oh, this is a real thing. I'm excited about it, but it's a big thing. that Angel wasn't my wife was not going to be able to continue to do the work she was doing yeah. at the time that she was pregnant yeah and I was going to have to make a change as well because we had set our lives up to where we had a lot of free time so we could donate it in youth work um, with our church group right and uh, so it it took away from that and, and I knew that I was going to have to make a big change and that that kind of freaked me out because it wasn't that I hadn't worked uh, a regular job before but I just hadn't it just hadn't really occurred to me how much was going to change. Yeah. And then we got close, and it was like, oh, yeah, I guess this isn't going to keep working the way it is, so we're going to have to do something different. What's funny is I <laughs> I must have had some sort of denial because about three months after Ezra was born was when I... Well, we were already planning it from the fall before, but for me to quit my job and work for myself, to step out on a limb with a little baby... <laughs> So what do you feel like changed most in your life when you became a dad? Um, I think your focus, like your 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 motivation, the why, the why for what you do. Does that make any sense that I said I said that all wrong? The why you do what your you why, do. Your why, your yeah. why, your big why in exactly. life becomes a, a, it, it's like you realize that it's different. Not only do you have to take the fact that you're a father in consideration, but that's also something that is your motivation and the reason why you do it. Right. Whether it's financial or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, um, what about, what was your first thought when Ezra was born and they handed him to you and you realized that you were actually holding your son in the real world and this was an actual thing that had happened to you. Um, I felt really peaceful, actually. I was very happy. Yeah. Like, I wasn't really afraid as, you know, like, that... You know, when I uh, when I said that we found out that she was pregnant, I wasn't, like, terrified. It's just that little thing in the back of your head of, can I do this? But I don't know. There was something at that moment where it was just peaceful, where it was like, okay, we're moving on, and this is the next thing we're doing, and this is... A permanent part of what our lives are for me when they handed me my daughter Elizabeth the only thing I could think of was how beautiful she was and I immediately fell in love with this child and the feeling that I had wondered if I would ever feel again after having met their mother and fallen in love with her you know if I would ever fall in love again um, was answered for me and I got to do it eight times and it, it was the most amazing thing to fall in love with another human being to to just be enraptured by them and know that whatever happens from now on you're somehow bound to that person and you will do whatever you can to protect them and to see them through
have there been things that you've gone through in life where Ezra, like, he adapted to a situation faster than you expected him to, or maybe even took it easier than you did, because kids' minds just shift gears so fast? Um, I mean, uh, probably <laughs> just, like, uh, one that struck me at the moment when it happened was uh, when he was probably, he probably would have been three or four, <clears throat> a dog that we had had since before he was born that he really liked died and I buried the dog in the backyard and I just knew he was going to be really upset and his cousin came over later that afternoon to play Jeffrey came over and I figured that he would just we did that because we thought well maybe he needs to be distracted well he we put him out in the backyard to play and he very promptly said uh Jeffrey look Lanny is dead and then Immediately, there was no break there. He said, Lanny is dead. And then said, look what I can do. And he ran over and climbed a tree. He's like, I can climb this tree really good. And the, and we were like, we knew he was just going to be distraught for a week over it. Right. Evidently not. He bounces back. And and just in the last couple of years, he's kind of had uh, a couple of people close to us pass away. Our in dad fact, Jeffrey. And he did and, well. And, and Jeffrey's dad, right? Yes. Jeffrey, his cousin, that was there uh, when when Lanny, you know, when he was uh, basically showing off the the fresh grave and then climbed the tree. Jeffrey's father passed away. What about a year ago? No, it's been two, two, two years. Two years, I think. Okay, so it's been pretty recent though. So he's had to go through that. And um, our dad passed away last year. Yeah, and and the kids only got a chance to really meet our dad. Most of yeah. them. Uh, you know, in person for about the past six, the last six months of his life. So right. they got to know him a little bit and then he was gone. Because when he got here, he was sick already. And that's part of why he came home to the States to seek treatment. But um, so what What do you think was the hardest part of, what did you do to help him through that? Um, I mean, we, we told him, you know, if you want to talk about anything, you can talk to us, you know, how are you feeling? And he... You know, I mean, he was sad and cried, obviously. But, like, with um, his uncle, he really surprised us in trying to step up and be comforting to his cousin because it was his dad, his cousin's dad. I, don't, I think I've explained the relationship right so that everyone knows what I'm talking about. At any rate, um, so when his uncle passed away, he really stepped up and, you know, tried to be comforting and on the level that he could and make sure that Jeffrey understood, you know, that... He cared. And That's good. That's good. That's really good for an 11-year-old boy yeah. um, to have that much, uh, to be that aware of the situation. Because a lot of times, um, it seems like at that stage, they just want to go do what they want to do. And, right. And the most distressing thing to them a lot of times when things like that happen is the interruption of their life and the things they don't get to do and the things that get put on hold and the things that change right um, frustrate them so it's really cool that he was able to kind of help his cousin walk through yeah, that yeah and then vice versa his cousin was able to do that for him last year when our dad passed away so it was interesting i mean These it's two young men are becoming acquainted with grief early in life horrible thing for them to bond on but i mean it kind of it was it's not way. though i mean that's that's life everyone dies well yeah and we don't that. handle it well in the united states actually it's a wonderful thing for us to bond over it's had it's hard to go through yeah. but i think it's a really important thing because it's going to happen yeah if you don't 
if you live past the age of 12 or 13, you're probably going to have someone close to you pass away. Yeah. And you're going to have to, you know, go through it. And so being able to go through it positively um, as much as possible, obviously with a lot of pain, but to come out the other sure. end um, and still have a, a positive outlook and all that, um, I think that's huge. When I was in the sixth grade and Tim was in the first grade, my mom, who had her degree in elementary education, decided to start homeschooling all of us, and there were five of us at the time. Uh, so Ezra has also been homeschooled, as are my kids, um, up until a certain level. And uh, this is going to be the first year that Ezra's going to experience a traditional school setting. He's going to a charter school here in Oklahoma City that focuses on math and science. And so I decided I would ask him kind of what he was expecting to see as far as changes and if he was uh, you know, concerned about what Ezra would be going through over the next uh, semester or so until he adjusts. I think we'll see a lot of changes probably over the next year. What's funny is that I think he's at that stage where, you know, the kid starts to, especially boys, try to be cool and all that. In some ways he does, but in other ways, my wife and I will look at him and be like, why why does that not matter to you? I know you like girls. Why didn't you comb your hair? (laughs) You know know what I mean? So what you're saying is he wants the females to be interested in him, but he hasn't connected... (laughs) He hasn't connected his own behavior to the possibility of that happening. I don't know if he's that, that if it's that he hasn't connected it, doesn't have enough concern about. It. Okay. For those who have never spent much time around homeschool kids, there's something that might surprise you, and that's the special kind of confidence that gets built into them from having been in a learning environment where they were not only accepted but celebrated for who they are. That's true for a lot of them, not all. But I think that Ezra definitely fits into this category, and I just wanted to get his perspective on what it meant to be going into a new school and experiencing something that he had never done before. So I understand you're getting ready to go to school here in a few weeks, coming up. How are you feeling about that? A bit of everything. Tell me, tell me what that means. Well... Uh, I'm kind of nervous. You're nervous? What are you most nervous about? I'm nervous about the fact that all the other kids are of the same race or how they're going to treat me. So you're worried about being seen as different? Yeah. Okay. A little bit. While Ezra's concerns are completely legitimate, I'm confident he'll make the transition with very little trouble. In fact, I'm kind of an expert on the subject. I went to four different grade schools in four different states and transitioned into homeschool and back into private school for junior high and then back into homeschool for high school. And I've watched my five kids make the transition from being at home into a traditional classroom in the junior high and high school levels without any difficulty whatsoever. In fact, they've excelled. So here's a little bit more about that. A lot of parents can, are concerned about, uh, especially those who've never homeschooled before and are considering it, they hear this this thing about how homeschoolers are not good at socialization. What do you what do you see as being the biggest challenge for Ezra going into this? What do you think is going to be the most awkward thing for him? And what do you foresee well, needing to like, help him with? Uh, um, it 
but you probably went through this with your kids, the just the concept of when you're homeschooled, you sit down at the kitchen table or wherever works for you, and then you put them in a situation like normal school setting, especially like in junior high or high school where they're having to find classrooms and all that. That's the only concern that I might have is it being overwhelming, but I think he'll pick it up off of, I think he'll pick that part up quick. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't. It turned out to be nearly the challenge that we thought it was going to be. In fact, getting into a new learning environment and meeting a lot of new people and stuff was exciting for them. Yeah. And they really seemed to thrive with it. Um, I think that, honestly, they've done better than they might have if they had just been brought through school, you know, in traditional school up until that point. So did you mean to have more kids? Did you guys... Uh, we talked about it and we just never did. I don't know. So it wasn't a thing that you were like totally opposed to having more children. It's just not something that you ever got to the point where you were like, okay, let's do this. No, I don't. I don't think it was a thing where we consciously decided no. Have you decided that you're kind of past that point now? Uh, probably. <laughs> I know it gets harder. Uh, like with our last, which was just nine years ago. Um, my wife was thirty five, thirty six years old when he was born. Yeah. And uh, it was difficult. It was challenging for her. And um, not in a way that made us afraid in the moment, like with his birth and everything. Everything was fine. It went well. But more thinking about the next time because each of her pregnancies toward the end got right. harder. So um, who worked when he was little? Was both, Were both of you uh, We both did. Okay. Did, uh, you, did you have daycare, grandma, No. Babysitter? I mean, uh, my mother-in-law watched him some uh, early on, I should say. But after that, it was mostly that she, my wife teaches dance classes and it, that's pretty much in the evening, especially during the school year. And so I'd work, uh, during the day and then I'd come home and then I'd watch him while she went and touch taught dance classes. So we both worked. All right. Let's just talk about some fun stuff now. What, if there was one myth about dadding, about being a father, about fatherhood that you would like to just blow up, what would it be? Stock photos. Stock photos. <laughs> <laughs> Explain what you mean by that. Okay. I mean, just, I think I get it because I know you. Uh, go ahead and open another, a tab there on your computer and search for father and son and see what you come up with. Okay. <laughs> All right. See, Let's see, see if there's any, any, any dads yelling at a son because he scratched the car or... <laughs> Let's see. No, oh, they're, they're hugging. hugging. They're playing football. They're fixing a bike. They're, uh, why do they have a football between their? Hands? I don't know. And they're arm wrestling. Like, yeah, they got what, everything. They've got football. And this arm photo, wrestling, like, if you can't see it, obviously, but it's this kid about should, ten years old. You, you should, should just Google father and son and find this should, because you should save that. And they put are. It in your, I will. I'll put this notes. like in my blog or something because uh, they will. Um, <laughs> It's this like ten year old kid and his dad and they're arm wrestling and they're they're like happy yelling like Arr! but they've got a football each touching their foreheads and then leaning in so that it's pressed between their heads. It's a strange picture. That is the weirdest. But you're right. So stock photos. What you mean by this is like the false imagery. Yeah. Of perfection. And that's almost what Facebook imagery of of fatherhood is too. And that's what I think. I mean. I guess MySpace was a thing when I had my son. If anyone even knows what that is, if you're over the Dude, age of I, 35, maybe. I really didn't get into MySpace. I didn't really do any social media. But it Facebook. didn't. It wasn't exactly the same as Facebook. I mean, like, right. I could see how if you were 
a new dad on Facebook now, and then you see all these, like... I mean, it's like everything else in life. Like, oh, you got your freaking gender reveal party, and then you got your newborn photo shoot where it's all... It's I mean, all the happy stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like it, people's Facebook profiles in general where it's like, oh, it's a beautiful beach vacation photo. But, well, yeah. did you show the stressful time you had because you spent too much money on vacation? <laughs> When they got back, did you show that on Facebook? Did well, you show... it's not just that you spent too much money on vacation. You spent too much money on vacation, and then all of your overtime at work gets cut off, and then you're you got four bills stacked up, and, and your, then your wife down. decides it's her night to go take a <laughs> you know a girls' night, and you're stuck at home with the baby, and the baby's like eight months old, and then he just craps all over the place, and and it, those are the moments when you find out what kind of a dad you are. If yeah. you can walk through it and not walk away, then honestly give yourself a huge pat on the back. You may have made some mistakes along the way, but that's really what it's all about. I don't know if that's necessarily a myth, but honestly... No, I think it is. I think it's awesome. I think it was a great reaction to that. If you had a dad slogan, what would it be? Dad slogan? Like, as a dad? For dads, kind of? Or what do you mean? Well, the other day when we were talking about this, you said something. I don't know if you remember it. That sucks. Get over it. Oh, yeah. Explain that. Well, okay. The one thing that I've always repeatedly said to my son, and I don't even know, he probably won't, I think he won't remember it, but of course, he'll probably be 40 and have a kid and be like, Dad, you know that? That's him. <laughs> There's my dream world that he'll actually take hold of the one thing that I think I'm driving home a point on. You know, if something bad happens, like, I don't know, your tricycle breaks or whatever, and or, you know, your friend decides they don't want to hang out with you anymore because they're mad about something and they're not going to be your friend. And I've the one thing I've told him is to learn how in your head to say, well, that sucks. And acknowledge when things suck. It's fine to acknowledge when things suck. And then you say, what now? So you say, well, that sucks. What now? And the what now is you move forward and you figure out what things look like Without your granddad in your life, or so, without your uncle, you know. So in other words, it's like a, it's like a, you, you admit, okay, this horrible thing happened, and and horrible is, guys, and when you're a dad, in your kids' lives, horrible is on this vast scale, right? And the reaction to it is all the freaking same. They lose a stuffed animal temporarily, they freak out. Right. The goldfish dies, they freak out. Their best friend moves away, they freak out. Their grandparent dies, they freak out. And a lot of those emotional reactions are almost identical. But So it's more of a thing where you're saying, okay, acknowledge this bad thing happened, but then take responsibility for whether or not the rest of this is going to be okay. Yeah, and you're going to go on and have a great life. If it's going to ruin your whole day or your week or whatever. Yeah. And, and also to acknowledge, well, this sucks, but I can say, I don't know, this toy is broken. What now? Well, can it be fixed? Right. So if you start. Not, you immediately what? start looking for solutions, right. and you take ownership of of your situation in your life. I think that's great. Right. If you could be any superhero, who would it be, and why? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good one. Um, usually, this is like put between Invisible Man or Superman is how it's usually framed when people. No, I just want. I just want to ask like a you. Social experiment. No, it's just I want you. I want you to tell me who you would be. Any any superhero or hero, like fictional hero, who would you be? Um. I don't know. Now I have those stuck in my head. Maybe Invisible Man, because that's this weird. <laughs> What's weird is well, that it's always like a psychological thing of oh, you're gonna do things awful because you're sneaky. See, that's the thing is that I think that 
you would just pull pranks on people constantly. Oh, yeah. If you're the Invisible Definitely. Man. We would just have to be ready for it. I wouldn't choose a superhero. I'd be Indiana Jones. I mean, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's cool, but... Actually, I think I, I always choose, wanted to be Indiana Jones. I'd be someone who could travel in time. I don't know if... Are there any superheroes that travel in time? And with that, we'll end our interview because the next thing that I uttered was a nearly unforgivable spoiler. So, anywho, hopefully my brother will speak to me again eventually. Thanks for listening to DadCast Radio today. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time. I hope that you will find us on Facebook, on DadCast Radio, or look at the Anchor Podcast app and download that and listen to us there so that you can contribute through leaving us voice messages and also applauding at the points in the story where you feel you most recognize what we're talking about. Again, if you're a dad and you would like to share your story here, just contact me on Facebook and I'll be happy to set that up with you and uh, we can talk. All right. Thanks a lot. Remember, next time, come on back to DadCast Radio. No experts, no formulas, just dads. It's okay. Yeah. Not a problem, man. Are your kids still excited about it? Well, it's kind of weird. They believe in me, but it's been harder for them to see, to catch the vision, you know? Yeah. Because it's just like, God, this is, you know, uh, a lot of work, nature, what's happening? <laughs> How old you are know? your kids now? Uh, Aiden's the oldest, he's 14, and the youngest will be eight. This and you year. have four? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, four, to, four, to four, eight to fourteen. All right. Well, that's s- similar, similar to the bottom half of our spread. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh yeah, I could live this. We need to get them together. You guys should come over sometime. We have lots of room. You can bring them all. So there's sandstone scattered everywhere throughout the property too. You can just kind of just find it. You pick it up and just use it. That's cool. I'm not even sure if I recorded all that. <laughs> oh, well. By the way. So I may have to call you on the phone and like do it again. I don't know how much of that's going to turn out where I can use it. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk to your kids, too. That's kind of been... I don't know if you've listened to either of the first few episodes. But what I'm trying to do is... Uh, you're fine. They're everywhere. Oh, look, that one's in it. So, that's it. We're all the way back to so the what's... So, this is where we would build the cabin. Yeah. I like it because if you, uh, I think this is a great place because we're just going to build it where it's like kind of a pretty massive porch just looking into the forest. Yeah. And, and how big are you thinking of building your cabin? Uh, around 600 with a, like a 250 foot loft. Yeah. And then Jess and I might even build an external structure for a bedroom for us. And we want to have uh, a really, you know, just totally kick-ass outdoor kitchen. <laughs> and so, something that's an invitation to be eating and cooking outside as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, 
but we're not even probably going to build a, ca a kitchen into this cabin other than just like a, uh, you know, what do you, like a, I don't know, just like a, just a, a rough end where it's like you got like a simple tiny little fridge and stuff like that. Not, we're not really building this to be anything other than like a weekend cabin. Right. And then build that right. So focus everything down there. All what the do you know about the water situation out here? Um, little to nothing, but I'm going to do two. I'm going to hand dig a well, and I'm going to have one. I've got an uh, old family friends that that's been their business forever is water wells. And so hand dig like with an auger. How how do you? Well, there's, plan on going there's about numerous it? different ways. There's a lot of different techniques. Um, all of them require attention to safety, but. Uh, no, there's 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 ways of staging like tearing down too, where it's like your circles get progressively. Smaller. Oh, you're talking about actually climbing in this thing yeah, and yeah, digging yeah, a, yeah. a well, like yeah, you yeah. see like in an old I, western I or something. I should tell you that my mom read me like all of the Little House on the Prairies when I was like a little oh. kid. <laughs> I think they had a pretty pretty big impact on me because yeah. you know I just you know. Of course, now we he have was, the, he was an experimenter. He would we, do anything. We do have the benefit on him because if if the water turns out to be not so great, we can put a reverse osmosis system in place. Right, right. They couldn't do that. Yeah, modern so. technology will save your. <laughs> you dig a bad well, you're just screwed. So. Right. Yeah, you're covered. Your family dies from mysterious. Yeah, illness. you don't know it until your kids get dysentery, and then you're like, well, shit. I guess we're gonna have to dig another well. Right. <laughs> yeah, but if you've if you've kind of filtered that water and you're just washing your clothes in it, it's really no big deal. Right. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. I mean, I, I would never use, you know. I, potable water that I didn't trust to the house. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I think you have to take it and have it tested, you know, to find out what's in it. <laughs> know what's going on. That's a scrappy looking tree. Yeah, I was just noticing it survived something, didn't it? <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah, that's the issue with this cabin, too. It's like, I don't know the trees how much to it. cut back on the canopy. I hate cutting trees. I hate cutting them down. I like them. Totally they're good building material. Don't don't yeah. consider them waste. I know, but they're everywhere. Like I don't need to struggle to go find a good, clean cedar or pine around here. So right. What? So what are you? What are you going to build your cabin out of? Native wood? I don't know. We thought about going cob with the cabin, just because yeah. it would be a fun process. But I don't know. Maybe rammed earth. I've been wanting to do ram, or I mean, a straw bale on edge. Have you ever seen it where they they don't lay them flat, but they put them on edge? Uh huh. Those it's kind of a different house. Then yeah. the walls aren't quite as thick. Where it's like, what is this? These, you know, and so they don't. It doesn't look as bizarre. So why would you do that? Well, because you still have a pretty high R factor, but they're, um, but just the whole build goes quicker. It's less bales to begin with, right. so you're going to go quicker. And you just you gave up a little bit of an R factor. But it still goes up quicker with less material, and it's still stable and sturdy. And these little these little oaks would make great timber for uh, doing cob. Yeah, I mean, I had seen where people had just taken the where you rough hew everything and use that for your roof and everything. And it's yeah. like we I, we thought about that at one point in time. Isn't cob the I, like, I like dimensional the lumber, the so. lumber stacked on end? No. With no, what is cob? Cob is. Uh, Who am I thinking of? Cob is where you take. That's, uh, no, I think they call it. No, that's a. Is that not cob? Cord. You're thinking cord, cordwood. Cordwood. Yeah. Okay. Cordwood. cordwood is where they stack the wood on in. Yeah. And then yeah. they put yeah. like mortar type stuff in between, whatever yeah. you decide. Cob is where you hand mix little, what they call loaves, or little cobs of uh, mud and straw, basically. And then you hand form that mud and straw into whatever shape you want and those those houses are just really charming and warm they're very 
that they feel like a hug or something. It's just because you can feel that human energy on the so walls. Did you, know? you guys actually go and visit some of these different styles of houses? Um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I guess I, it's like whenever I was in high school, I worked for uh, my grandpa owned a, a, a Ford dealership, and I loved working there. But I still like you know asked them like one summer if it would be cool if I just went and worked at the lumber yard because I had such a strong compulsion to be around just the building materials and stuff and so I ever since I was like 16 17 I've just been around the materials and so it's one of those things it's like I don't think I ever did anything to study anything of what I'm doing at all but I was compulsively being an autodidact where I couldn't yeah. get enough information about this stuff where it's yeah. just like I'm constantly like I can't quit like when we get home at night even if it's like we're, we're supposed to be crashing in like 30 minutes I just put on YouTube videos about like you know any kind of home vernacular home building to modern home building I don't care I just I, I want yeah too. I want to know what it is <laughs> I want to know more information tell me the cutting edge but show me the ancient techniques too all of it it's cool. all good with me I don't care I like old I like new whatever <laughs> If you're like me, then before you know it, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you're looking up how to level a, a pier and beam floor. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, crap, it's 2 o'clock. Yeah. Never enough information. Oh, well, that's cool, man. I, I'm just, I'm so excited for you. Well, I really are am. you guys, uh, what do you think? Am I loony for wanting to just hand build a house with my wife yes. and kids? Absolutely you are. Cool. But lunatics yeah, are good. the best kind of people. Good, good, good. Aren't they? Yeah. All of my best friends are lunatics. Well, I found that there's quite a few lunatics in this part of the this part of the county. There's there's a, there's a lot of really awesome people that have come out here and just you know done that, that I, same thing. I think just, honestly, you know. if you drive into the country, five miles from almost any city in America, mm-hmm. <laughs> you find true libertarians and true anarchists and yeah, lunatic the dream. type people yeah, out there just minding of all business. different yeah. conservative, liberal, gay, straight, black, That's cowboy, right. Indian. It don't matter. Right. But they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's awesome. Well, I think it's funny because you're doing this dad cast, and I would say this, like to myself, whenever I first, you know, got married and decided to have children, that would be the first thing I would tell myself. Is like, do you have any advice, forty-year-old Ryan? <laughs> it's like, uh, so yeah. what would you say to your twenty-year-old self? Yeah, I would say you need to figure out how to define life on your own terms better quicker (laughs) okay like be more intentional about like you know i I think forever i just tried to figure out how i fit into society and now that you know we hit i hit 40 this year and it was like over the past three years or so it's like i've kind of like the idea that i was ever i'm ever going to find that place of how i fit in has is kind of just slipped away like that was just a weird forgotten dream i'm never going to yeah it's not it's not going to be okay and so in the meantime i've got a life to live and i might as well enjoy it and i would forgotten that because i was just trying to figure out how I could contribute, and I felt like, you know, inevitably I was contributing. I just didn't see it, and yeah. then on the on the on the backside, I but I wasn't like paying attention to my own like mental health of like being happy myself, and then my kids suffered for that yeah. because I didn't realize that I wasn't happy because I was yeah. so busy trying to make them happy. <laughs> I think right. I think it's funny because in our society, I think that we we talk a lot about self care for women, but not as much for men. You know, I think that. Yeah, well, I think if, 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 if I haven't, like, completely emptied myself at the end of every day or every month or whatever, I do kind of feel like trash about myself. Like, I haven't lived up to the expectations of my adult male self. That's sad, isn't it? It is, yeah. It can be hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are we trying to prove? I don't know, but who I cares? mean, we're all born onto this rock <laughs> equally, you know? 
seriously, if I'm happy at the end of the day and I haven't hurt anybody else, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'll leave that in, but seriously. It's just none of their damn business. Oh. So you've seen everything. That's yeah. yeah. No, I'm dude, this is really cool. Yeah, Matt, why are you? Stop apologizing. Well, it's what, uh, you brought us out in the woods. We, we know what the woods are, Ryan. We have been in the woods before. <laughs> So I also... I haven't seen a lot of poison ivy or anything, though. No, that's not too bad out here. Yeah, I've been looking for it, and I haven't seen any. Really. I didn't see any snakes, either. I, I think that there is poison oak, but, no, Probably. but I haven't really? seen any poison ivy. Isn't it amazing? You're in a forest, you haven't even seen poison ivy. So, lot number 14, huh? Yep, that was the one for us. No, not 13. You didn't. You didn't think like you just buck that whole <laughs> myth. I, I would. I would have bought it if it was. If it was. I'm kidding. Lot. It didn't have enough uh, clean, open, sudden exposure for it. Well, you definitely have that here, and it's going to be difficult for anybody to block it with as far away as that tree line is. Even if someone else buys that land. All right. So. Little flip down gate like I'm Batman. Yeah. That would be amazing. So on the way back, I'll ask you my typical dad questions. Isn't editing awesome? Because <laughs> I mean, you put things where you want them, right? right. You shape the narrative. You cut out all the ums and the. Mm -hmm. I say um, so a lot is what I'm finding out um, as I'm like so. editing myself. I say so. At the so. Beginning. So here's four, here's 15 right there. It, it would just be nice. I think that having seven acres feels about right. Yeah, like it's probably about all I could manage. And that's what I think that if, if all humans were just allotted, you know, everybody can have enough land that they can manage and no more. You know what I mean? Like that I can't own a property here and then it's five states away where I can't be there to manage it. So, yeah. But there are people there. You know what I mean? Right. And so it feels like that is a, it, that's a, there's a misstep in there somewhere. You know what I mean? Where somebody can say, well, I'm in charge of this, where you guys live, even though I have no vested interest personally in being there. Right. I think that's kind of jacked up, really. It and, can and, be. And, I mean, and I understand that. that I, I think there are that, ways to manage that, it where it's that's, not. That's capitalism's kind of like, it has shortcomings here and there. Sure. You know what I mean? That are just like, whatever. But, you know, I believe in capitalism. I love it. But at the same time, I also think that it's like, there, there are multiple fronts where it's just total shit that it needs to be rewritten. Yep. I'm just, well, the thing I'm is, just, there's not there's not a rule book. That's, that's the thing, is that we have a tendency to think that systems that we live by are systems. And they're just, they're not. They're not systems. They're just ideas. You know what I mean? Like capitalism, there's no rules. There are laws that try to prevent people from doing things, but we live in America, we all know about how much a law is worth, right? So, I mean, you do it how you want to do it. So what about just, but if you were to be able to invest to where you could buy like the next six or eight lots, wait five years and sell them at a fair market rate, you might have a pretty good investment for your family and still be able to provide people nice property at a lower price. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I could see maybe 10 years from now it's not worth any more. That's possible. Too. It's like, that doesn't bother me. That, that, you we, can still we, live we, on it. We That's knew the thing that about going land. in. Yeah, we didn't look at it like, 
okay, we're really wrapping up our self-worth in this purchase. And, yeah, but somebody's and, spending and, some money over here, dude. Oh, it, it, the whole thing, everywhere. There's, it's. It, I was surprised because I didn't think it, that they would get bought up that quick as far out as we are. Yeah. And no, I was wrong. Like, basically, like, a solid third of them sold within, like, the first six months when we opened it up. Really? Yeah. 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 That's pretty good for me this far out. It's people like us kind of wanting to kind of have more elbow room and less kind of... You know, just of the the hustle and bustle that is the city. That it's like, if I need that, it's just 15 minutes away. Have you met anybody that's like got property out here? Yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah. And then I and then uh, we have friends that are neighbors to the north by just three miles. So. Okay, so tell me your name. I'm starting the interview from the beginning. Tell me your name. <laughs> but I'm I'm Mark. I'm here with Dadcast Radio, and I'm here with what's your name? Ryan Strader. That's right. How many kids do you have, Ryan? Four. What's the ages? 14, 12, 11, no, 10. No. Not sure when that birthday is? Oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> terrible. That's okay, I don't know all. I, I, mine mine switch this. odd okay. and even every other year, so it's easy. No, she's 10. She just turned 10. Milo will turn eight this year. That's correct. Okay, so about to turn eight, 10, 12, and 14. So, been a dad for 14 years? Correct. And uh, how long have you been married to Jessica? 16. 16 years. So, you guys started two years in. Did you wait intentionally? I don't recall, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I really don't know that we put that much thought into any of it. Right? Well, that's kind of like us. We were just kind of. We, we just knew we were in love and we wanted to be together. Yeah. And that's so that's what we did. Um, do you remember finding out for the first time that you were going to be a dad? It's okay if you don't. I don't. No, Tim no. does. But he has a pretty good story behind his. Yeah, I mean, I remember that week really well. I remember the way the whole week felt very well. But I, I don't know about, like, the exact moment. I think because there had been, like, a rising suspicion to begin with or something. And so... Okay. That kind of a thing, yeah. All right. So, uh, what about the feeling when your first child was handed to you? Tell me about that. Uh, the birth is over. Here's the kid. <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I, I'm so into my wife that I was probably just really neurotically, really kind of like thinking, you know, is she safe? Is everything okay? You know what I mean? And then Did it all go, did the birth yeah, go well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. She was amazing. Just never been, you know, more astonished at that point in time in our marriage. I was just like, wow. They're so strong. She is amazing. I know. Yeah, They're just, badass. I, for I sure. just I fell more in love with her that day. Absolutely. Than even before. It was, it was just a, you know, it's a traumatic experience. It's, it's, I can see why people have PTSD from that. So. So when you first became aware, okay, I'm the, I'm a dad now. This kid's in the world. What was that feeling like? Um, yeah, well, you know, back to your question about holding the child, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, it just feels mystical to me. That's all I can say. It's just like it doesn't even feel, it's like, what even is happening? You know, it's like you, you realize, you understand the logistics, you know what's happening. And yet, you know, that the two people have created this <laughs> carbon copy but it's not quite you, not quite this other person, but it's this third person that's 
equal parts genetically you and the person you love. It's, I like what Jack Johnson yeah. says in his song, uh, Hey You, You Remind Me of You. You know that song? <laughs> no, I've never heard that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good little song. It's, it's a song he wrote, I think, to his daughter. And basically he talks about how she's got features from her mother and features from him. Yeah. But you, you remind me of you. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's it. You know, you're holding a little version of yourself and your favorite person. And it's pretty magic. It just feels like a mystical experience. So. We're lucky to be having it. What would you say, uh, what would you say is the, the most important thing you've learned about being a father? I don't know. I don't think that I've ever learned anything that's all that different than being a, a son. Uh, you know, love conquers all things. It, it's, it's the bind. It's the glue. It's the it's the stuff of life. It's the, it's the good stuff. There's nothing else like it. And, uh, you know, family that care about each other is just pretty much one of the most euphoric experiences that a human can have, I feel like. I agree. So what about... Uh What's your favorite, like, go-to technique or trick or, or thing that you do as a dad that kind of helps you keep things going? And, uh, or maybe, like, a, fa- a favorite thought you go back to that helps sustain you or whatever. Uh, don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have to repeat that one to yourself? Because <laughs> I do. I'm like... Don't be a jerk. Don't, yeah, be, don't be an asshole. Yeah, don't be an Finally, asshole. I came there. Yeah. yeah, that's where I end up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm lucky. My family likes me, and they put up with me, and they all basically will say that they're like, "I'll, I'll, I'll be worried that I'm an asshole," and they're like, "It's okay. You are. Don't worry about it." Yeah, <laughs> we, you are, and we know that, and we love asshole, you. Right? So it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's. I don't know that my family's come to that conclusion, but yeah, pretty much that's that's the deal. Well, it, it helped a lot. I think I, I actually. I was able to laugh at myself a lot more whenever I realized they felt that way about me. Right. So. Yeah, well, yeah. Because you think you're, like, hiding it from people or something? Like, they, maybe they haven't realized I'm an asshole today. Maybe they think that's in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, so what, what would you say has been your biggest challenge uh, fathering, like, with your kids? Oh, yeah. Anger. Not personally. Seriously. I okay. think early in the marriage, I just had, you know, it's like those self... Uh, uh, I'm, I, I had... Uh, I was... How do I say this? Let me back it up. So, it, everything's personal, you know, whatever sure. anybody's it's run through the filter of their childhood and their whatever. And so, I had total abandonment issues. I uh, I never knew my biological father, and he was just like an alcoholic that had five different kids by five different women. And so, when you grow up with whatever your particular quirks are, and that one, you know, put its mark on me. And so, um, early in the marriage, you know, that would just pop up that insecurity of just like being afraid suddenly you know she's gonna leave me or you know everything's gonna fall apart you, you know you're not gonna you know you're not gonna love me or whatever it's just all those you know I'm not good enough it, you go through that stuff periodically you go through these phases and I I guess dealing with you know my own self and not um 
recognizing that I was going through something, like not even realizing that I was, that, th- right. that this could cause trauma for my family and stuff that because I'm not well adjusted. Yeah. Like not really awakening to that until like I was in my mid thirties. That was so kind of focusing on yeah, your that own, was regrettable. Own side of, <laughs> focusing on your own side of it. Yeah. And, not and that, that, that I felt others. really bad that I hadn't just awoken to the fact that, you know, I can, I can probably, there are probably coping mechanisms to manage my own childhood neurosis better than what my family's having to deal with right now. Yeah. Right. right. And so, I totally get that. And then, but yeah, with age, that stuff kind of chills out. It, it, it mellows out. And, and, you know, my wife's been a trooper. And, you know, we, you know, it's not like she hasn't put me through the ringer a time or two, too. So it's like, whatever. It's just, you know, that's what love, it just shows up every day because it's happy to be choosing this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. It's like, I'm super happy to be waking up with these people every day. And so... I have no idea why my dad didn't want to, and but I have no idea why the, my dad that adopted me did either. You know what I mean? Right. I was lucky. I was adopted whenever I was eight, so I got to have this awesome childhood because of him and his family. And uh, you know, it was just a, they made for a beautiful life. And it's love is a choice. That's it. You know? Right. Family is a choice. And right. So, I, I, and I I think that yeah, sometimes you think you're choosing your family whenever you're you're. You're actually not actually awake to what they're actually asking you for, what they're actually wanting from you. Like right. I, what you're not hearing it because you think you you know you know what they want because you understand the role that a father is supposed to be delivering, what you're supposed to be giving, but not actually hearing them when they're like very specifically asking you for specific things and you're not delivering. And right. I have no idea why I could live in that headspace or why any man can or any woman for that matter, but people can and it's hard to get out of it. And yeah. I think once I started to just see all of them, they changed me for the better immediately. So That's cool. Um, what would you say, what's the biggest myth about fatherhood that you would just like to explode? Like if you were talking to a guy, you saw some guy, his wife is pregnant, it's their first kid, and, and he says, you know, he, he says this thing to you, and you're just like, no. What would that thing be? You know, probably that like that it's a delineated thing. Fatherhood is this, motherhood is that. That's just a bunch of BS. Every you know, you know, two parent situation or five parent situation, whatever. Everybody's playing the role of mother and father. You know, the traditional things. You know, it's like I need to be doing laundry. I need to be doing dishes. She needs to understand basic carpentry, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever. You know, all of it's beneficial, and you know, I need to be able to comfort my kids in the same way. That, you know, with that same kind of gentleness that my wife can offer, and in the same way, you know, it's helpful whenever she adds that sternness and drops her foot when she needs to because they're pushing her boundaries. Right. And so, I, I guess that's the first myth. Is like that, flexibility? Is that, is, that, is, that, is that a father isn't also a mother? That's the yeah. first myth. It, it's busted. You're both, dude. Sorry. You right. Know, if you're going to be a good, whole, cohesive parent, you need to be covering territory of both roles. Yes. Yeah. And I think, too... Um, at least in our family, I think that the delineation of roles shifts over time, and it has to be specific to that group. Because yep. there are some of my kids that I would not step in to console because if she's there, she's going to be better. Right. But in general, if well, my right. kids get yeah. hurt, they come my, look for me. My wife doesn't change the tires. Um, she just doesn't yeah. do that. Right. Why would she? It's you know, I'm quick and I like it. It's fun. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a it's a masculine thing, I guess. But what if it wasn't? What if she liked changing tires? Would that make us a bad married couple or something? No, it wouldn't. You know, it would be fine. <laughs> you know, I've met people like that. That he's not so great at it, but she's pretty good at it, and that's right. great. Whatever. Right. You know, everybody's just getting the work done that needs to be done. 
time. <laughs> right. If yeah. you married Rosie the Riveter, right. then stay out of her way <laughs> when she's in the garage, man. That's it makes sense. Well, it's funny. I, we were watching that stand-up. Uh, I forget her last name. Eliza something. A comedian was on Netflix, and she was talking about some of those like traditional roles. I forgot what it was she said. Uh, oh, I don't know where I was going with that. She said okay. something that was. Uh, what was the last thing you said? Uh, oh, Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. So she, she was pointing out that 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 like traditionally, like in society, men actually don't like strong, independent women. That they just don't like them. And I've, I've, I, I didn't realize that. I guess. And then it was like she was making jokes about it, about how like yeah, when a woman's actually strong and independent, men find it not. You know, it's not sexy to them. They right. Want, well, they it can't want be some, threatening yeah, to they, they yeah. want somebody that wants to be rescued or needs somebody to change the tire, etc. Cetera, et cetera, I've, I've experienced that in my own life. I mean, yeah. that was part of what we went through. Honestly, yeah. about five or six years ago, when my wife started her own business. Oh no! That kidding. independence. Yeah, because I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't understand what. It's kind of like you said. You don't know you're going through it. Yeah. Until you get on the other side of it, and you look back and you go, "Oh shit! I was doing this thing that I." maybe didn't even think was a thing right and there it is and this is why people talk about it and here's what I could have known that would help me get through it it's hilarious you know but I didn't really see it at the time so uh, okay so let's do some oddball questions what uh, who's your favorite fictional dad no no no, no but hey, oh, wait, oh sorry go ahead me oh yeah yeah what I was going to say is like no I um, even though I understand that some of those things can feel threatening to the relationship when it first hits or whatever it's like oh what is this you know why are you changing whatever but at the same time, it's like, no, I, for me to love her is to want her to, like, you know, be um, 100% successful at, like, whatever she wants that that has nothing to do with me. Whatever, right. all those areas of her life that have nothing to do with me, right. I really want to see her succeed at all that to the fullest extent. And yeah. so I don't see why that's ever actually threatening. Watching my wife succeed at things, I find that sexy. I think that's that's... Tremendous to me. I, I, I find it like a like it was the opposite of what the comedian was saying. Like right. I think it's a huge turn on when my wife succeeds at things. I love it. I you know and it's like but also when she tries and fails, I find that like just as endearing. Like oh I gotta love this woman. You know it's like but but it, the, but in either case that's independent strength. Right. You know what I mean. The thing that's not supposed to be attractive in women. I don't get that. No way. Yeah. I want a strong woman. I like yeah. it. And all my grandmothers were strong. My mom's strong. They're just tremendous people that have a, a willpower and a desire to get things done and yeah. care about the people in their life and I think that that is totally a thousand percent cool well don't get me wrong you've met my wife it's not like I'm, right. I'm married no. a wimp it, no that's what I'm saying it's <laughs> and like, I told yeah. all my no, brothers you both, can ask Tim you can ask Tim, wives, yeah. like you can you ask guys, Tim. Yeah. I gave him I gave them all some advice I said never marry a woman who can't kick your ass when you need it right because you'll end up in trouble Kidding. and there won't be anybody to straighten you out <laughs> you know so uh Tell me, uh, you have a favorite fictional dad, like from a TV show or a movie or a book or anything? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, or this one that entertains you, I guess. Yeah, probably Hal from uh, Up in the Middle. That's my favorite. My that's guess. Tim's favorite. Tim, that Tim, Tim loves that show, and uh, he was a big fan of uh, what is that actor's name? Brian uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah. Uh, oh but, yeah, yeah. I, I like Hal so much. I've, I'll never watch Breaking Bad. You'll never watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, I tried the first episode, and I was like, in the first episode, I was like, I can't do this. He's Hal, and I want him to stay Hal. I could see why that would. <laughs> yeah, knowing you, I could see why you wouldn't. 
I, I don't know. Thematically, I think that show would be troublesome for you anyway. <laughs> really, I do. I don't, I don't know. It's, um, I have this weird delineation, I think, between reality and fiction that allows me to enjoy things from a different perspective. Like, I could see something and really enjoy it, even though I know it's sick and twisted. And, but it's like a separate thing. It allows me to think about another facet of life. And it allows me to empathize with another human being that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. Well, yeah. And I think that's that, part of what man, it is. With, with Breaking Bad, like, having done some acting, just watching, even if it's a messed up show, just the craft, the ability to act like he does. Oh, I, yeah, because Hal... There, people that can act. There is nothing of Hal and Walter White. Nothing. And he did an excellent job with both parts. Yeah, absolutely. He was brilliant in both parts. And that, I mean, I think that just, because Tim always said he was a great actor, he wanted to see him do something, and then he did Breaking Bad, and it was like, holy cow. I mean, the chops that it takes to do I mean, it, I think for us, it'd be like you watching a really great guitarist pick up and play a violin just as equally, you know? And you'd just be like, whoa. I wish I, you know, could gain this kind of skill where I could do what he's doing right now. Um, so it's like an appreciation of his art as much as it is an appreciation of the story, maybe. Sure, sure. That's cool, though, Hal. From so, what is it about Hal and Mel- Mel- what's what's the what appeals to you about that character? <laughs> I don't know. His brutal honesty. He is brutally honest about everything, even when he doesn't need to be. I think. Oh, okay grass everywhere I wasn't no really, it's okay yeah. not a problem man are your kids still excited about it well it's kind of weird they believe in me but it's been harder for them to see to catch the vision you know yeah because it's just like god this is you know uh, a lot of work nature what's happening <laughs> how old are your kids now uh Aiden's the oldest he's 14 and the youngest will be eight and year. you have four yeah Yep. Yeah. Four to four, to four eight to fourteen. All right. Well, that's similar similar to the bottom half of our spread. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh yeah, I could live We need to get them together. You guys should come over sometime. We have lots of room. You can bring them all. So there's sandstone scattered everywhere throughout the property too. You can just kind of just find it. You pick it up and just use it. That's cool. I'm not even sure if I recorded all that. <laughs> oh, well. By the way. I may have to call you on the phone and, like, do it again. I don't know how much of that's going to turn out where I can use it. Okay, don't worry about it. We can do, but, do a podcast at your house if you want. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'd love to talk to your kids, too. That's kind of been... I don't know if you've listened to either of the first few episodes. But what I I'm trying I to do... Is, uh, yeah, They're everywhere. Oh, look, that one's in it. So, that's it. We're all the way back to so the what's... So, this is where we would build the cabin. Yeah. I like it because if you, uh, I think this is a great place because we're just going to build it where it's like kind of a pretty massive porch just looking into the forest. Yeah. And, and how big are you thinking of building your cabin? Uh, around 600 with a, like a, 250 foot loft, yeah. And then Jess and I might even build an external structure for a bedroom for us. And we want to have uh, a really, you know, just totally kick-ass outdoor kitchen. <laughs> and so something 
that's an invitation to be eating and cooking outside as much as possible. Yeah. And then, um, but we're not even probably going to build a, ca- a kitchen into this cabin other than just like a, uh, you know, what do you, like a, I don't know, just like a, just a, a rough end where it's like you got like a simple tiny little fridge and stuff like that. Not, we're not really building this to be anything other than like a weekend cabin. Right. And then build that right. So focus everything down there. All what the do you know about the water situation out here? Um, little to nothing, but I'm going to do two. I'm going to hand dig a well, and I'm going to have one. I've got an uh, old family friends that that's been their business forever is water wells. And so hand dig like with an auger. How how do you? Well, there's, plan on going there's about numerous it? different ways. There's a lot of different techniques. Um, all of them require attention to safety, but. Uh, no, there's 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 ways of staging like tearing down too, where it's like your circles get progressively. Smaller. Oh, you're talking about actually climbing in this thing yeah, and yeah, digging yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a well, like yeah, you'd yeah. see like in an old western I, I or something. I should tell you that my mom read me like all of the Little House on the Prairies when I was like a little oh. kid. <laughs> I think they had a pretty pretty big impact on me because yeah. you know I just you know. Of course, now we he have. Was, the, he was an experimenter. He would we, do anything. We do have the benefit on him because if if the water turns out to be not so great, we can put a reverse osmosis system in place. Right, right. They couldn't do that. Yeah, modern so. technology will save your. <laughs> you dig a bad well, you're time. just screwed. So. Right. Yeah, you're covered. Your family dies from mysterious. Yeah, you don't know it until your kids get dysentery, and then you're like, well, shit. I guess we're gonna have to dig another well. Right. <laughs> yeah, but if you've if you've kind of filtered that water and you're just washing your clothes in it, it's really no big deal. Right. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. I mean, I I would never use you know, potable water that I didn't trust to the house. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I think you have to take it and have it tested, you know, to find out what's in it. (laughs) Know what's going on. That's a scrappy-looking tree. It survived something, didn't it? (laughs) Whatever it was. Yeah, that's the issue with this cabin, too. It's like, I don't know how much to cut back on the canopy. I hate cutting trees. I hate cutting them down. I like them. They're good building material. Don't don't consider them waste. I know, but they're everywhere. Like, I don't need to struggle to go find a good, clean cedar or pine around here. Right. What, so what are you, what are you going to build your cabin out of? Native wood? I don't know. We thought about going cob with the cabin. Just because it would be a fun process. But I don't know. Maybe rammed earth. I've been wanting to do ram, or I mean, uh, straw bale on edge. Have you ever seen it where they they don't lay them flat, but they put them on edge? Uh-uh. Those wall, it's kind of a different house, and yeah. the walls aren't quite as thick. Where it's like, what is this? These, you know, and so they don't. It doesn't look as bizarre. So why the, would you do that? Well, because you still have a pretty high R factor, but they're. Um, but just the whole build goes quicker. It's less bales to begin with, right. so you're going to go quicker. And you just you gave up a little bit of an R factor, but it still goes up quicker with less material, and it's still stable and sturdy. And these little these little oaks would make great timber for uh, doing cob. Yeah, I mean, I had seen where people had just taken the, where you rough hew everything and use that for your roof and everything. And it's yeah. like, we, I, we thought about that at one point in time. Isn't cob the, I, like, I like dimensional the, lumber, the so. lumber stacked on end? No. With, no what is co- cob? Cob is... Uh, what am I thinking of? Cob is where you take... That's, uh, no, I think they call... No, that's a... Is that not cob? Cord, You're thinking cord, uh, cordwood. Cordwood. Yeah. Okay. Cordwood. cordwood is where they stack the wood on it. Yeah. And then yeah. they put yeah. like mortar type stuff in between, whatever yeah. you decide. Cob is where you hand mix little, what they call loaves, or little cobs of uh, mud and straw, basically. And then you hand form that mud and straw into whatever shape you want. And those, those houses are just really charming. They're warm. They're very 
they feel like a hug or something. It's just because you can feel that human energy on the so walls. Did yeah. you guys actually go and visit some of these different styles of houses? Um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I guess I, it's like whenever I was in high school, I worked for uh, my grandpa owned a, a Ford dealership, and I loved working there. But I still like you know asked them like one summer if it would be cool if I just went and worked at the lumber yard because I had such a strong compulsion to be around just the building materials and stuff and so I ever since I was like 16 17 I've just been around the materials and so it's one of those things it's like I don't think I ever did anything to study anything of what I'm doing at all but I was compulsively being an autodidact where I couldn't yeah. get enough information about this stuff where it's yeah. just like I'm constantly like I can't quit like when we get home at night even if it's like we're, we're supposed to be crashing in like 30 minutes I just put on YouTube videos about like you know any kind of home vernacular home building to modern home building I don't care I, I just I want yeah too. I want to know what it is <laughs> I want to know more information tell me the cutting edge but show me the ancient techniques too all of it it's cool. all good with me I don't care I like old I like new whatever <laughs> You're like me, then before you know it, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you're looking up how to level a, a pier and beam floor. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, crap, it's 2 o'clock. Yeah. Never enough information. Oh, that's cool, man. I, I'm just, I'm so excited for you. Well, I really are am. you guys, uh, what do you think? Am I loony for wanting to just hand build a house with my wife yes. and kids? Absolutely you are. Cool. But lunatics are the best kind of people. Good, good, good. Aren't they? Yeah. All of my best friends are lunatics. Well, I found that there's quite a few lunatics in this part of the this part of the county. There's there's a, there's a lot of really awesome people that have come out here and just you know done that, that I, same thing. I think just, honestly, you know. if you drive into the country, five miles from almost any city in America, mm-hmm. <laughs> you find true libertarians and true anarchists and yeah, lunatic the dream. type people yeah, out there just minding of all business. different yeah. conservative, liberal, gay, straight, black, That's cowboy, right. Indian. It don't matter. Right. But they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's awesome. Well, I think it's funny because you're doing this dad cast, and I would say this, like to myself, whenever I first, you know, got married and decided to have children, that would be the first thing I would tell myself. Is like, do you have any advice, forty-year-old Ryan? <laughs> it's like, uh, so yeah. what would you say to your twenty-year-old self? Yeah, I would say you need to figure out how to define life on your own terms better quicker (laughs) okay like be more intentional about like you know i I think forever i just tried to figure out how i fit into society and now that you know we hit i hit 40 this year and it was like over the past three years or so it's like i've kind of like the idea that i was ever i'm ever going to find that place of how i fit in has is kind of just slipped away like that was just a weird forgotten dream i'm never going to yeah it's not it's not going to be okay and so in the meantime i've got a life to live and i might as well enjoy it and i would forgotten that because i was just trying to figure out how i could contribute and i felt like you know inevitably i was contributing i just didn't see it and then on on the on the back side i but i wasn't like paying attention to my own like mental health of like being happy myself and then my kids suffered for that because I didn't realize that I wasn't happy because I was so busy trying to make them happy (laughs) I think I think it's funny because in our society I think that we we talk a lot about self-care for women but not as much for men you know I think that yeah well if, if, if if I haven't like completely emptied myself at the end of every day or every month or whatever I do kind of feel like trash about myself like I haven't lived up to the expectations of my adult male self that's sad isn't it it is yeah it can be hard I mean what are we trying to prove I don't know but who cares I mean we're all born onto this rock (laughs) equally you know 
seriously, if I'm happy at the end of the day and I haven't hurt anybody else, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'll leave that in, but seriously. It's just none of their damn business. Oh. So you've seen everything. That's yeah. yeah. No, I'm dude, this is really cool. Matt, why are you so, stop apologizing? Well, it's what, uh, you brought us out in the woods. We we know what the woods are, Ryan. We have been in the woods before. <laughs> so I also. I haven't seen a lot of poison ivy or anything, though. No, that's not too bad out here. Yeah, I've been looking for it, and I haven't seen any. Really. I didn't see any snakes either. I, I think that there is poison oak, but no, probably. But I haven't really? seen any poison ivy. Isn't it amazing? You're in a forest and you haven't even seen a poison ivy. So lot number 14, huh? Yep, that was the one for us. No, not 13. You didn't. You didn't think like you just buck that whole <laughs> myth. I, I would. I would have bought it if it was. The, if it was. The I'm right kidding. Lot. It didn't have enough uh, clean, open, southern exposure for us. Well, you definitely have that here, and it's going to be difficult for anybody to block it with as far away as that tree line is. Even if someone else buys that land. All right, so. Little flip down gate like I'm Batman. Yeah. That would be amazing. So on the way back, I'll ask you my typical dad questions. Isn't editing awesome? Because I mean, you put things where you want them, right? right. You shape the narrative. You cut out all the ums and the. Mm -hmm. I say so a lot is what I'm finding out no, as I'm like so. editing myself. I say so. At the so. So here's four, here's 15 right there. It, it would just be nice. I think that having seven acres feels about right. Yeah, like it's probably about all I could manage. And that's what I think that if, if all humans were just allotted, you know, everybody can have enough land that they can manage and no more. You know what I mean? Like that I can't own a property here and then it five states away where I can't be there to manage it. So, yeah. But there are people there. You know what I mean? Right. And so it feels like that is a, it, that's a, there's a misstep in there somewhere. You know what I mean? Where somebody can say, well, I'm in charge of this, where you guys live, even though I have no vested interest personally in being there. Right. I think that's kind of jacked up, really. It and, can and, be. And, I mean, I, I understand that. that I, I think there are that, ways to manage that, it where it's that's, not. That's capitalism's kind of like, it has shortcomings here and there. Sure. You know what I mean? That are just like, whatever. But, you know, I believe in capitalism. I love it. But at the same time, I also think that it's like, there, there are multiple fronts where it's just total shit and it needs to be rewritten. Yep. <laughs> I'm a well, the thing I'm is, a there's not there's not a rule book. That's, that's the thing, is that we have a tendency to think that systems that we live by are systems. And they're just, they're not. They're not systems. They're just ideas. You know what I mean? Like capitalism, there's no rules. There are laws that try to prevent people from doing things, but we live in America, we all know about how much a law is worth, right? So, I mean, you do it how you want to do it. So what about just, but if you were to be able to invest to where you could buy like the next six or eight lots, wait five years and sell them at a fair market rate, you might have a pretty good investment for your family and still be able to provide people nice property at a lower price. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I could see maybe 10 years from now it's not worth any more. That's possible. Too. It's like, that doesn't bother me. That, that you we, can still we, live we, on it. We That's knew the thing that about going land. in. Yeah, we didn't look at it like, 
okay, we're really wrapping up our self-worth in this purchase. And, yeah, but somebody's and, and, spending some money over here, dude. Oh, and, and the whole thing, everywhere. There's, it's. I was surprised because I didn't think it, that they would get bought up that quick as far out as we are. Yeah. And no, I was wrong. Like, basically, like, a solid third of them sold within, like, the first six months when they opened it up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good for being this far out. It's people like us kind of wanting to kind of have more elbow room and less kind of, you know, just of the, the hustle and bustle that is the city that it's like, if I need that, it's just 15 minutes away. Have you met anybody that's not like, appropriate out here? Yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah. And then I've... And then uh, we have friends that are neighbors to the north by just three miles, so... Okay, so tell me your name. I'm starting the interview from the beginning. Tell me your name. <laughs> but, well, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm here with Dadcast Radio, and I'm here with... What's your name? My name's Ryan. Ryan Strader. That's right. How many kids do you have, Ryan? Four. What's the ages? 14, 12, 11, no, 10. No. Not sure when that birthday is. Oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> terrible. That's okay, I don't know all. I, I, mine mine switch this. odd okay. and even every other year, so it's easy. No, she's 10. She just turned 10. And Milo will turn 8 this year. That's correct. Okay, so about to turn 8, 10, 12, and 14. So, been a dad for 14 years? Correct. And uh, how long have you been married to Jessica? 16. 16 years. So you guys started two years in. Did you wait intentionally? I don't recall, to okay. be honest. Yeah. yeah. I really don't know that we put that much thought into any of it. Right? Well, I, that's kind of like us. We were just kind of, we, we just knew we were in love and we wanted to be together. Yeah. And that's, so that's what we did. Um, do you remember finding out for the first time that you were going to be a dad? It's okay if you don't. I don't. No. Tim does. But he has a pretty good story behind his. Yeah, I mean, I remember that week really well. I remember the way the whole week felt very well. But I, I don't know about, like, the exact moment. I think because there had been, like, a rising suspicion to begin with or something. And so okay. that kind of a thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, what about the feeling when your first child was handed to you? Tell me about that. Um, the birth is over. Here's the kid. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I'm so into my wife that I was probably just really neurotically, really kind of like thinking, you know, is she safe? Is everything okay? You know what I mean? And then did it all go, did the birth go well? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. She was amazing. And, uh, I've just never been, you know, more astonished at that point in time in our marriage. I was just like, wow. They're so strong. She is amazing. I know. They're badass. I just, I fell more in love with her that day. Absolutely. Than even before. It It was just a, you know. Traumatic experience. It's, I can see why people have PTSD from that. So, so when you first became aware, okay, I'm the, I'm a dad now. This kid's in the world. What was that feeling like? Um. Yeah. Well, you know, back to your question about holding the child. You know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's uh, it just feels mystical to me. That's all I can say. It's just like it doesn't even feel. It's like what even is happening? You know, it's like you, you realize, you understand the logistics, you know what's happening. And yet, you know, that the two people have created this <laughs> carbon copy, but that's not quite you, not quite this other person, but it's this third person that's 
equal parts genetically you and the person you love. It's, I like what Jack Johnson yeah. says in his song, uh, Hey, you, you remind me of you. <laughs> you know that song? No, I've never heard that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good little song. It's, it's a song he wrote, I think, to his daughter. And basically he talks about how she's got features from her mother and features from him. Yeah. But you, you remind me of you. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's it. You know, you're holding a little version of yourself and your favorite person. And it's pretty magic. It just feels like a mystical experience. So We're lucky to be having it. What would you say, uh, what would you say is the, the most important thing you've learned about being a father? I don't know. I don't think that I've ever learned anything that's all that different than being a, a son. Uh, you know, love conquers all things. It, it's, it's the bind. It's the glue. It's the it's the stuff of life. It's the, it's the good stuff. There's nothing else like it. And, uh, you know, family that care about each other is just pretty much one of the most euphoric experiences that a human can have, I feel like. I agree. Yeah. So what about... Uh What's your favorite, like, go-to technique or trick or, or thing that you do as a dad that kind of helps you keep things going? And, uh, or maybe, like, a, fa- a favorite thought you go back to that helps sustain you or whatever? Uh, uh, don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have to repeat that one to yourself? Because I do. I'm like... Don't be a jerk. Don't, yeah, be, don't be an asshole. Yeah, don't be an Finally, asshole. I came there. Yeah. yeah, that's where I end up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm lucky. My family likes me, and they put up with me, and they all basically will say that they're like, "I'll, I'll, I'll be worried that I'm an asshole." And they're like, "It's okay. You are. Don't worry about it." Yeah, we, you are, and we know that, and we love asshole, you. Right? So like, yeah. yeah, I think that's. I don't know that my family's come to that conclusion, but yeah, pretty much that's that's the deal. Well, it, it helped a lot. I think I, I actually. I was able to laugh at myself a lot more whenever I realized they felt that way about me. Right. So. Yeah, well, yeah. Because you think you're, like, hiding it from people or something? Like, they, maybe they haven't realized I'm an asshole today. Maybe they think that's in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, so what, what would you say has been your biggest challenge uh, fathering, like, with your kids? Oh, yeah. Anger. Not personally. Seriously. I, okay. Like, early in the marriage, I just had, you know, it's like those self... Uh, uh, I'm, I, I had... Um, I was... How do I say this? Let me back it up. So, it, everything's personal. You know, whatever sure. anybody's has run through the filter of their childhood and their whatever. And so, I had total abandonment issues. I uh, I never knew my biological father. And he was just like an alcoholic that had five different kids by five different women. And so, when you grow up with whatever your particular quirks are, and that one, you know, put its mark on me. And so, um, early in the marriage, you know, that was just pop up that insecurity of just like being afraid suddenly you know she's gonna leave me or you know everything's gonna fall apart you you know you're not gonna you know you're not gonna love me or whatever it's just all those you know I'm not good enough you go through that stuff periodically go through these phases and I I guess dealing with you know my own self and not um recognizing that I was going through something 
like not even realizing that I was that, th- right. that this could cause trauma for my family and stuff that because I'm not well adjusted yeah. like not really awakening to that until like I was in my mid 30s that was so you're kind of focusing on yeah, your that own, was regrettable. Own side of, <laughs> focusing on your own side of it yeah and, and that, 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 that I felt it. really bad that I hadn't just awoken to the fact that you know I can I can probably there are probably coping mechanisms to manage my own childhood neurosis better than what my family's having to deal with right now yeah. right, right. And so, I totally get that. And then, but yeah, with age, that stuff kind of chills out. It, it, it mellows out. And, and, you know, my wife's been a trooper. And, you know, we, you know, it's not like she hasn't put me through the ringer a time or two, too. So it's like, whatever. It's just, you know, that's what love, it just shows up every day because it's happy to be choosing this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. It's like, I'm super happy to be waking up with these people every day. And so I have no idea why my dad didn't to and but I have no idea why the, my dad that adopted me did either you know what I mean right. I was lucky I was adopted whenever I was eight so I got to have this awesome childhood because of him and his family and uh, you know it was just a, they made for a beautiful life and it's love is a choice that's it you know? right family is a choice and right. so I, I, and I, I think that yeah sometimes you think you're choosing your family whenever you're 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 actually not actually awake in a to what they're actually asking you for, what they're actually wanting from you, like right. I, you're not hearing it because you think you, you know, you know what they want because you understand the role that a father is supposed to be delivering, what you're supposed to be giving, but not actually hearing them when they're like very specifically asking you for specific things and you're not delivering. And right. I have no idea why I could live in that headspace or why any man can or any woman for that matter, but people can and it's hard to get out of it. And yeah. I think once I started to just see all of them they changed me for the better immediately so that's cool um what would you say what's the biggest myth about fatherhood that you would just like to explode like if you were talking to a guy you saw some guy his wife is pregnant it's their first kid and and he says you know he, he says this thing to you and you're just like no what would that thing be you know, probably that like that it's a delineated thing. Fatherhood is this, motherhood is that. That's just a bunch of BS. Every you know, you know, two parent situation or five parent situation, whatever. Everybody's playing the role of mother and father. You know, the traditional things. You know, it's like I need to be doing laundry. I need to be doing dishes. She needs to understand basic carpentry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whatever. You know, all of it's beneficial, and you know, I need to be able to comfort my kids in the same way that, you know, with that same kind of gentleness that my wife can offer, and in the same way, you know, it's helpful whenever she adds that sternness and drops her foot when she needs to because they're pushing her boundaries. Right. And so, I, I guess that's the first myth. Is like, that, flexibility? Is that, is, that, is, that, is that a father isn't also a mother? That's the yeah. first myth. It, it's busted. You're both, dude. Sorry. You know, right. If you're going to be a good, whole, cohesive parent, you need to be covering territory of both roles. Yes. Yeah. And I think, too, um, at least in our family, I think that the delineation of roles shifts over time, and it has to be specific to that group. Yeah. Because there are some of my kids that I would not step in to console because if she's there, she's going to be better. Right. But in general, well, if my right, kids get yeah. hurt, they come look for me. <laughs> my wife doesn't change the tires. Um, she just doesn't yeah. do that. Right. Why would she? It's you know, I'm quick and I like it. It's fun. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a it's a masculine thing, I guess. But what if it wasn't? What if she liked changing tires? Would that make us a bad married couple or something? No, it wouldn't. You know, it would be fine. <laughs> you know, I've met people like that. That he's not so great at it, but she's pretty good at it, and that's right. great. Whatever. Right. You know, everybody's just getting the work done that needs to be done. To, 
Right. Yeah. If you married Rosie the Riveter, right. then stay out of her way <laughs> when she's in the garage, man. That's it makes sense. Well, it's funny. I, we were watching that stand-up. Uh, I forget her last name. Eliza something. A comedian was on Netflix, and she was talking about some of those like traditional roles. I forgot what it was she said. Uh, oh, I don't know where I was going with that. She said That's something okay. that was. Uh, what was the last thing you said? Uh, oh, Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. So she, she was pointing out that 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 like traditionally, like in society, men actually don't like strong, independent women. That they just don't like them. And I've, I've I I didn't realize that I guess. And that it was like she was making jokes about it about how like yeah, when a woman's actually strong and independent, men find it not. You know, it's not sexy to them. They right. Want, well, they want some, yeah, they, they yeah. want somebody that wants to be rescued or needs somebody to change the tire, etc. Et I've whatever. experienced that in my own life. I mean, yeah. that was part of what we went through. Honestly, yeah. about five or six years ago, when my wife started her own business. Oh, no That kidding. independence. Yeah, because I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't understand what... It's kind of like you said. You don't know you're going through it. Yeah. Until you get on the other side of it and you look back and you go, oh, shit. I was doing this thing that I maybe didn't even think was a thing right and there it is and this is why people talk about it and here's what I could have known that would help me get through it that's hilarious you know but I didn't really see it at the time so uh, okay so let's do some oddball questions what uh, who's your favorite fictional dad oh, no 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 but, hey, oh, wait, oh sorry go ahead me finish oh yeah, yeah what I was going to say is like no I um, even though I understand that some of those things can feel threatening to the relationship when it first hits or whatever it's like oh what is this you know why are you changing whatever but at the same time, it's like, no, I, for me to love her is to want her to, like, you know, be um, 100% successful at, like, whatever she wants that that has nothing to do with me. Whatever, right. all those areas of her life that have nothing to do with me, right. I really want to see her succeed at all that to the fullest extent. And yeah. so I don't see why that's ever actually threatening. Watching my wife succeed at things, I find that sexy. I think that's that's tremendous to me I, I, I find it like a like it was the opposite of what the comedian was saying like right. I think it's a huge turn on when my wife succeeds at things I love it I you know and it's like but also when she tries and fails I find that like just as endearing like oh I gotta love this woman you know it's like but but it, the, but in either case that's independent strength right you know what I mean the thing that's not supposed to be attractive in women I don't get that no way yeah. I want a strong woman I like yeah. it and all my grandmothers were strong my mom's strong they're just tremendous people that have a, a willpower and a desire to get things done and yeah. care about the people in their life and I think that that is totally a thousand percent cool well don't get me wrong you've met my wife it's not like I'm, right. I'm married no. a wimp it, no that's what I'm saying it's <laughs> and like, I told yeah. all my no, brothers you both, can ask you can ask Tim wives, yeah. like you can you ask guys, Tim yeah. I gave him I gave them all some advice I said never marry a woman who can't kick your ass when you need it right because you'll end up in trouble Kid. and there won't be anybody to straighten you out <laughs> you know so uh Tell me, uh, you have a favorite fictional dad, like from a TV show or a movie or a book or anything? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, or this one that entertains you, I guess. Yeah, probably Hal from uh, yes. Up in the Middle. That's my favorite. My that's guess. Tim's favorite. Tim, Tim, Tim loves that show, and uh, he was a big fan of, uh, what is that actor's name? Brian Cranston. Uh, Brian Cranston, yeah. Uh, oh but yeah, yeah. I, I, I like Hal so much. I've, I'll never watch Breaking Bad. You'll never watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, I I, I, oh, I, I, tried, I tried the first episode and I was like, in the first episode, I was like, I can't do this. He's Hal, and I want him to stay Hal. I can see why that would. Yeah, knowing you, I can see why you wouldn't. 
I, I don't know. Thematically, I think that show would be troublesome for you anyway. <laughs> really, I do. I don't, I don't know. It's um, I have this weird delineation, I think, between reality and fiction that allows me to enjoy things from a different perspective. Like, I could see something and really enjoy it, even though I know it's sick and twisted. And But it's like a separate thing. It allows me to think about another facet of life. And it allows me to empathize with another human being that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's that, part of what it is. With, with Breaking Bad, like, having done some acting, just watching, even if it's a messed up show, just the craft, the ability to act like he does... Oh yeah, because Hal. I love watching there, people that can act. There is nothing of Hal and Walter White, nothing. And he did an excellent job with both parts. Yeah, absolutely, he was brilliant in both parts. And that, I mean, I think that just because Tim always said he was a great actor, he wanted to see him do something, and then he did Breaking Bad, and it's like, holy cow! I mean, the chops that it takes to do. I mean, it, I think for us, it'd be like you watching a really great guitarist pick up and play a violin just as equally, you know. And you just be like, whoa, I wish I, you know, could gain this kind of skill where I could do what he's doing right now. Um, so it's like an appreciation of his art as much as it is an appreciation of the story, maybe. Yeah, sure. That's cool, though, Hal from... So what is it about Hal and Mel... What's, what's the... What appeals to you about that character? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's brutal honesty. He is brutally honest about everything, even when he doesn't need to be. I think... Oh, Okay.